We've done over 200 processes uh, with RPA and we continue to, to work at it today. It has its limits. Where I think one of the potential unlocks in the future is through artificial intelligence. Welcome to the GBS Masterminds podcast, the one and only platform for global business service leaders to share their experiences of building world-class shared service organizations. My name is Sashi Narathari, founder and CEO of Hyredius, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm honored to host Richard Dobbs, a GBS leader with 25 years of experience across companies like Mondelez, Kraft Heinz, Xerox, Citibank, and GE. Currently, Richard serves as VP of Global Business Services with Klimberly Clark and is responsible for their four shared service centers across Tennessee, Poland, Costa Rica, and Malaysia. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Shashi, and uh, it's great being here with you today. Rich, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career journey? Sure. Well, my upbringing, I was, uh, I grew up in a small town in Southern Kentucky. After moving away and going to college, I went into the military, spent seven years in the military. And then uh, after getting out of the military, that's when I started my corporate journey. Started out first with uh, Citibank before GE came knocking on my door. And that began a 15-year-long stint with GE. And it was while I was at GE going through their executive development uh, program that uh, I got my first opportunity to go and work in shared services. And it was interesting. When they first offered me that position, I didn't know what shared services was. It was based in Fort Myers, Florida, and the alternative was to go to Buffalo, New York, and I thought the weather was better in Fort Myers, so I took the shared service job. And little did I know that that became a 25-year journey for me in this space. And after doing that for several years and having a lot of great opportunities to and a lot of great experiences at GE for nine years, and I took a job with um, Fidelity Investments, where I ran their global enterprise operations, which includes shared services, but also some commercial activities. And then from there... I actually took a a, a job with Xerox when they were acquiring a company called ACS, and they were getting into the BPO world and became a commercial leader. I'd always been intrigued about taking what I had learned in the previous 10 and 12 years at GE and Fidelity and using it to run a commercial business. And that's what I did. And I spent three years with them. And I always tell people that was probably, I probably learned more in that three years than what I have in any other assignment I've ever had because you, you're taking what you're doing and you're learning how to run a business. After my stint there, I took, um, it led me to uh, a job at Mondelez when they were splitting off from Kraft and helping them get set up as a new company and setting up their shared service organization. And then eventually to my assignment here at Kimberly Clark, where I was asked to come in and, and build out their global business services organization. You bet. And very interesting. Rich, over the years in your career, you have set up shared services both as a captive center as well as outsourced to a third-party vendor. Which one is better? I think this is one of those questions, Sachi, in which there's not a right or wrong answer, but there's probably a best answer for your company. And finding that best answer usually rests with two variables. One is speed and the other is culture. How fast you want to go and realize savings and the benefits of getting there versus cultural acceptance. If speed is your number one priority and you want to want to gather the savings, then BPO is probably your answer because they've already got the infrastructure in place. They've already got the capability. They've got the project resources that can lift and shift the work very quickly so that you can get the savings sooner. But how fast you go usually comes down to that other variable, how much your culture can tolerate. And what I have uh, learned over the years and developed a, a bias or preference for is really a hybrid model. 
there's pros and cons to keeping it in and there's pros and cons to giving it out and finding the sweet spot of where you can harvest the best of both worlds. And that's what I call a, a hybrid model. Uh, years ago, when I was at GE, when we were going through some of these early decisions, what to outsource, what to keep inside, what to give to our captive organization offshore, I developed this pyramid model. And there's five levels to this pyramid model. The first level is what I'll call transactional services. And transactional services have largely been commoditized and can be done anywhere in the world. And if that's the case, you know, you can probably put it in the lowest cost location with a BPO and the work can be done perfectly well. The second level of the pyramid is what I call issue resolution. That's when when you process the transaction, something goes wrong with it. It needs a little bit extra work, a little bit extra research. That's largely been commoditized as well. You can put that in the lowest cost uh, location and with a BPO. The third level is what I call issue escalation. That's when the phone rings. That can be language sensitive. It can be location sensitive. Uh, it tends to need to be closer to your stakeholders or your business partners that you're serving. Uh, generally, you will see a little bit of a mix there. You might have some of it with outsource uh, provider, but you also will have some of it inside close to uh, your customer and, and your business base. The fourth uh, level of category is what I call process management. That's managing this end-to-end -end process, this network of delivery centers that you've got set up. That generally uh, you keep inside only in very mature processes in which it is so well established externally, would you give that over to an external? An example would be in your travel area on the reservation process. The top level of pyramid is what I call governance. You never outsource that. And one of the biggest uh, mistakes I find that companies make sometimes when they go to a full outsource model is they don't engineer those top two levels of that pyramid right. Because the outsource provider still needs to be managed. There's a contract to be watched over. There's KPIs to be monitored. And there's also, you want a champion internally within your organization of what your outsource provider is doing. So those top two levels of the pyramid, companies sometimes will fail to engineer right. And that creates issues for them down the line. Thanks for that. Harmonize and standardize first or lift and shift first? What's your recommendation? In theory, you want to standardize first, right? Because if you can standardize and harmonize first, it makes your lift and shift go much smoother. But there's a reason that 80 to 85% of the time, companies end up opting for a lift and shift. That's because it's easier. Standardizing is hard. We're a global company, 150-year-old company, and our processes show it sometimes. We're very non-standard. We're very complex. It's hard. It's difficult to drive to global global standards. And so typically, companies will go with the lift and shift model that, that allows them to get the savings quicker. It also allows them, once they've got all the processes pooled together or consolidated, it gives them better visibility and better leverage then to drive the standardization and harmonization. The practical side of me says you probably are going to lift and shift and then drive the standardization. In your opinion, Rich, what is the impact that RPA can make? robotic process automation and bots in shared services. Also, the new emerging trend is uh, the impact of AI. And I'm curious if you have implemented any form of AI, what, have, what kind of benefits have you seen? Well, RPA is going to have an impact and it can have an impact. What I have learned, and we've done a lot, like everybody else, we kind of went bot crazy a few years ago too, and we're jumping on the bandwagon and trying to write uh, as many bots as we possibly can. The learning that we had from it comes back to the, to the point we were talking about in the previous question, is this whole standardization thing. What we've found is if you're very non-standard, you sub-optimize your bots and you end up having to write your bots over and over again because the slightest little deviation to a process uh, map 
means you've got to rewrite and reprogram that bot. And that was one of the learnings that we've had. Even though we've done a lot, we've done over 200 processes uh, with RPA and we continue to, to work at it today, it has its limits. Where I think one of the potential unlocks in the future is through artificial intelligence. Most companies have more unstructured data in their company and non-standard processes in their company than what they have structured data and standard processes. What artificial intelligence gives you the ability to do is take your unstructured data and make it structured and to interpret your non-standard processes in a way that they look standard. So then that can unlock the opportunity for you to leverage RPA to a greater degree in the future. One great example I'll give you, and this is in use today, is on the travel side of the house today. It is capable today that you can take your Alexa app that you get from Amazon and say, Alexa, order me an Uber and charge it to business. Alexa will communicate with Uber, order you a car, tell Uber to charge it to your corporate card, and then communicate with Concur back in uh, your enabling technology in your company to submit the expense report. A great example of where there's technologies that have been interconnected are working together there to make a completely touchless transaction that in the past, somebody would have to touch and process the transaction at multiple steps along the way. Artificial intelligence is going to continue to play a big and emerging role in the future. How can you become a strategic partner to the business leaders or the line of business execs? So what are your thoughts on that? What have you done in your own career journey as well as any recommendations for other GBS leaders? To me, I think this is the $10 million question. I think And we as GBS leaders have to evolve ourselves. We have to evolve our capability. Otherwise, we're made irrelevant over time. Something's going to come along and make us irrelevant. It's a technology, it's a capability, it's a BPO, whatever. You will be made irrelevant if you don't take the lead and involve yourself. We're on a journey to an intelligent business services. And I think there's four stages of this evolution journey. The first stage Pretty much everybody in the world is doing that. It's called a discrete shared services. That's where you take like type processes, you pool them together at some place in the world, you get economies of scale and and perform them cheaper. Pretty much every company in the world is doing that right now to some degree. The second stage of evolution is what I call a, where you take that discrete shared services and you give it some strategy. You make it functional focused, regional focused. You give it a, a more of a charter. The third level is then when you bring it all together, you want to treat it, you run it, run it as a global organization. You want to start running it somewhat like a business. That's a global business services organization. Final level of, or the top level of the of evolutionary chain is what I call an intelligent business services. And it really comes down to this point. It really is being more innovative and value driven and not value driven from cost standpoint, value driven to how you can help the company make money, how you can actually influence the top and the bottom line. I think there's three types of monetary value GBS organizations can unlock. The first one is labor arbitrage and work absorption. That's the price of entry to getting into shared services. It's also a one-time benefit. The baseline gets reset. And then what do you do? Then you go into the second type of value, uh, monetary value creation. And that that's where you take what you've got and you make it better. You do it better, faster, and cheaper than it was before. You You apply your CI machinery, your standardization, your automation efforts, and you do it better, faster, and cheaper than the way it was before. And then the final level is how can you take your perspective and influence the top and the bottom line? GBS organizations, we sit on mounds of data and process thousands, millions of transactions a year. That gives us amazing perspective, and we have to unlock that uh, perspective. And we can influence 
in the top and the bottom line. There's a rule of thumb that I carried with me for some time. I call it the 20-20-40 rule. You will get 20% of your value, monetary value that you will unlock from the company from the first level. That's through labor arbitrage and, and work absorption. The second 20% will come from the value that you will create will come from that second category, CI, uh, automation, so on. The third level will unlock 40% of the value that you're going to create. So think about it. That third level can unlock as much or more than the ter- first two levels combined. And this is where you've got to really focus on it. You've got to measure it. You've got to make it as part of what you do every day. And our dash, GBS dashboards, the one metric that's front and center is the value that we create to the top and the bottom line. And if you focus on it and you measure it, you will get what you measure. And we're unlocking millions of dollars a year to the top and bottom line for our company that nobody knew we had the ability to do it. There's over 100 different ways last year that we unlocked this value. And it's a game changer. And it's what you will need to do if you want to get to that top end of the evolutionary scale and be intelligent business services. Core ERP, SAP or Oracle versus modern SaaS platforms. There is this general confusion, debate. If I am running SAP, if I want to optimize the process, should I just use SAP? Or you go for a best-in-class SaaS offering, maybe like a Coupa or a Blackline, Hyderia. So your thoughts on that? Well, this one hits home, very close to home for us right now as we're going through an SAP upgrade to, to S4HANA right now. And we're going through this exact you know, decision tree matrix. I personally have a belief that they complement one another and they need to complement one another. You know, the SAPs and the ERP providers, they're going to focus on their core. Because that's, that's their business model. That's what they do. And we need to implement that digital core. And that's going to become instrumental to get, get our data consolidated in a structured way that we can leverage and run our company better. This enabling technologies universe that circle it, though, is also very, very important, too. In its areas, ERP providers aren't going to go deep on because it's not, it's not their focus. It's not their core. It's not their area of, of, uh, that they're going to invest a lot in. So applications like Coupa, Blackline, high radius, where you will carve out an area and you will go deep on and develop fantastic capability on becomes part of our ecosystem universe that we got to go through. So what we're, we're looking to do and what I think every company is looking to do is to find that sweet spot of having as simple as a, uh, a technology landscape as they possibly can to, to support, but then also getting those world-class capabilities in these different areas that can make a big, big difference. You know, the receivable space is one of the areas in which we generate the greatest amount, probably the greatest amount of value to that previous uh, question, to the top and bottom line, millions of dollars a year. We don't want to sacrifice that. We don't want to go backwards. Right. What is one key piece of advice you would like to share with your peers or even like a younger self of us, early stage of the GBS career journey? You've got to build the right foundation to start from. You've got to have the right people in the right roles, focus on the right things. But it's more than people. It's also you got to bring in good methodologies, project methodologies, migration methodologies, CI approach and mindset. You got to have a good measurement system in place, communications and change uh, methodologies and program recognition, the way you communicate with your employees, on and on and on. That's the foundation that you put in place that will sustain you over time and will take you on this evolutionary journey that uh, I talked about earlier. 
I didn't always get this right in my career. <laughs> there were a few times I can tell you I showed up to new jobs in my career and I just thought I was going to walk in the door, sprinkle pixie dust on everybody. Everybody would know how to do this and snap my fingers and we're, we got a world-class shared service organization. It doesn't work that way. Please, I want to tap into one other unique experience that you have. I think about a few years ago, you were one of the four GBS leaders invited to meet the U.S. Congress to incorporate shared services model to run the U.S. government. We are really curious. Why were you called upon? What did you recommend to them? If you had told me 20 years ago, that's where I would have been setting, uh, I would have said, you're crazy. There's no way. It's the last place on earth I would have ever envisioned myself. It would have been in Washington, D.C., meeting with a group of congressmen and their staffs, uh, talking to them about what I do <laughs> and how they can leverage my expertise to help run the, the government better. I'm not sure how my name came up. I'll tell you, the reason I chose to do it is I figured, you know, I'm a citizen of this country. I'm a citizen of the world. And if I can help our government run better and they can learn from me, then uh, I'll take that as a higher calling. And so I accepted it and went, went to talk to them. It was an amazing experience talking to them. It uh, What seemed very obvious to me and second nature to me and my other three peers that were that were in that meeting sounded like science fiction to them because that's how far behind the government was. They've asked me to come back at some point in time in the future because they're probably going to have to, uh, this is probably going to turn into legislation and they're going to want people to come in and testify at that point in time. It was a fascinating experience and one that I was honored to do. Thank you, Ben. Rich, thank you for uh, joining us on this uh, podcast. Very insightful conversation. Uh, delight to have you on the GBS Masterminds today. Thanks so much, Fauci. Thanks for having me and all the best. That was the GBS Masterminds podcast. For more information, visit gbsmasterminds.com and make sure to search for GBS Masterminds in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at High Radius, thanks for listening.